is a delight and honor to be here. If you weren't with us last night, just quick by uh, quick way of introduction. Uh, Kim and I, my wife and I, have been married uh, nearly 35 years. Been on the road, as Trev said, for 33 years, uh, six continents, 40 some nations, uh, traveling around the world and and just enjoying the presence of God, watching the Lord minister to people. You know, as Trev was talking about celebrating uh, the the you know seemingly in our eyes. Uh, the little breakthroughs, knowing that as we are thankful, God increases. He reminded the story of John Wimber many years ago when we first were around the prophetic and the supernatural in Kansas City and a lot of different things. Now, I remember John Wimber's testimony of praying for the sick, and many of you may know it, but where he continually would pray, and not only as he prayed for the sick were people not getting healed, they were getting sicker. He would pray for people, and they would die. <laughs> I mean, you know, not a lot of people want that anointing uh, a lot. But what he did, he kept persevering because the Word talks about the reality of healing. And so uh, he kept persevering, and as he did, little by little, he began to see a breakthrough here, a breakthrough there, and then just uh, a sweeping flood of, of healing and the miraculous. And so I appreciate that. Um, so I send greetings to my wife and my daughter, Shekinah, my daughter, 17 years old, uh, been with us all over the world now. Uh, from the time she was born, she got her passport at three months old, uh, with a big bow and her little bald head, <laughs> and, and now uh, traveling and ministering with us all over the world. Uh, it was great to hang out with the leaders on Friday night and then had a wonderful time last night as well. And so uh, exciting to be praying for us if God brings us to your heart. Uh, I get home tomorrow night and this, uh, this weekend, coming weekend, we're going to be in Washington, D.C., a uh, long story I won't go into, but um, through uh, connections in Florida and with Bethel and Redding, uh, California, God has opened relationship with the church in Washington, D.C. It's called Embassy Church. It's right on Embassy Row. Forty-some nations in the church, uh, ambassadors and, uh, you know, and, and their staff, many different things. So we're going to be there uh, next week in ministry, Then we leave April 2nd for Europe. Um, in, in missions, Kim and I have, again, been graced by the Lord to travel a lot of different places. In missions, Europe has become what they consider the dark continent. You know that statistically, per capita, Europe has the smallest born-again population of any continent. And uh, from the encroach of Islam, humanism, many other things. And so God has opened the way. We have a base church in London where we're raising up at an apostolic house. We're raising up uh, the prophetic and supernatural and helping equip and train and release that. Uh, but then from there, we're going to be in several different places. Uh, going to be in France in about three weeks or so. Um, ministering, and, and, you know, again, if you follow the news, you know there's a lot of turmoil going on in, in Europe right now. So be praying for us, if you would, uh, the Lord's touch and, and anointing and all those different things. So I want to look for a little bit, um, jump off from the same place we started last night with John the Baptist. I, I love the, the uh, biblical uh, precedents and, and examples of the prophets. So last night we were talking about Elijah and how John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah and about uh, John the Baptist's message, which was repent or change for the kingdom of heaven or an invasion of the spirit is right at hand. But then I, I look at aspects of John the Baptist's ministry. John was a couple of things. He was 
uh, a transitional prophet. You were using the word transformative, transitioning, transforming. He was also a transitional prophet. He was the prophet God sent as a forerunner to prepare Israel and ultimately the world for a transition from the old covenant where God can only be satisfied, the holiness of God, by a blood sacrifice and to transition us into the new covenant where Jesus is our sacrifice. And he is the way of access into the, the, the presence of the Father and into, into the heavenly realm. And so one of the things we know about prophetic anointing and prophetic ministry is it's a timekeeper, it's a season keeper. It is an, an anointing to prepare us for the shifts and changes that God is bringing. You know, Trev was talking about Isaiah 43, 42, where it talks about a new thing is coming. But have you ever been caught by surprise and not prepared for something that's coming? Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if you all were successful in setting your clocks, remembering that your, your cell phones normally will catch it uh, without you having to worry about it. Well, here, let me tell you a, a true story. Um, we had preached in this little church, uh, there's a lot of times, at least in the States, um, and, and by the way, I, I am American, so love me anyway. Um, we, we, we live, amen. And so we, we live in Hampton, Virginia, right on the east coast of the U.S., about two and a half hours south of D.C. But um, it, when we first started traveling in ministry, we were in Arkansas and Missouri and North Texas and Oklahoma and kind of, you know, the, uh, where, where you get the term rednecks, uh, you know, some of that area and, and hillbillies. And, and so anyway, uh, we were in a lot of small country churches and still go. Uh, but many times the way these churches are set up is the parsonage or the pastor's home is part of the church building. And so we've been in many cases like this. Well, excuse me. Again, true story. Would you mind cracking that open for me so I don't? <laughs> Thank you, Trev. I appreciate it. Uh, so here's a true story. A pastor's home was set up where it was uh, behind the platform of the church. And what the pastor did typically is about an hour before service would start, he would come out and set the, uh, the thermostat was right outside that door on the platform that led into his house. And so normally he'd come out about an hour before service and, you know, turn it up a few degrees because it had been down a little bit so it would be comfortable when everybody gets in. Well, it was this Sunday, several years ago, he'd forgotten the time change. He didn't realize that an elder or deacon had, had a key and opened the door and that the church would be full of people. So he walked out thinking it was an hour early to set the thermostat, and there was a room full of people. The problem was the pastor was in his underwear. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's important to know what time it is. <laughs> it's important to understand the season of what's going on. You know, I, I got up here and, and, you know, all I have is just kind of a, a light leather coat. And Trev said, didn't you realize you were coming north? You know, I, I don't have gloves and, and you know, I, I, I need a toque, you know. But uh, so anyway, um, the prophetic is to give us an understanding ahead of time of, of the time and the season we're moving into. You know, those of us that travel internationally and many times cross a lot of time zones deal with, you know, something called jet lag. Well, according to the experts, one of the greatest ways to deal with jet lag is to start living on tomorrow's timetable today. You understand? Do you know, they, they say, you know, for every hour of difference uh, that you're going to one day ahead of leaving for the trip, start living according to that new timetable. And then when you get there, eventually, you're not going to be dealing with jet lag. 
So let me put it in practical terms for us prophetically. We need to start living in the revelation of tomorrow, today, so we're prepared for when the, uh, God releases us into that season. But to do that, we've got to see what is coming. When I was a, uh, a teenager, I was born in Hawaii, can't you tell? Uh, my dad was Navy, I was born in Hawaii, lived on the island of Cuba for four years. So you know Gitmo, where America has all the terrorists? That's where I played as a kid. Um, and then the east coast of the U.S., and, and so I was a street preacher when I started about 15 years old. Somewhere around 17 years old or so, I led a surfer to Jesus. And he and I became real good friends. And he wanted to learn to street preach. So I, I made a deal with him. I said, if you teach me to surf, I'll teach you to street preach. Now look, I may not look like much of a surfer today. But there was a day I could hang 10. And here's what I learned as a surfer. If I don't want to miss the wave or eat sand, I need to learn to discern what kind of wave is coming in, where it's going to break, how it's going to break, how to position my board to catch the wave. Part of prophetic anointing is not just to line people up and give them words as great as that is. It is to see in the timetable of God, the seasons of God, the ways of God, what is about to happen so we are not running after or running ahead of the purpose and the plan of God and we're right along surfing the wave all the way in. And so we believe that's part of why God's bringing forth um, what I believe is a, a maturity in prophetic anointing. Kim and I have been at this for 32 of the 33 years we've been traveling in the prophetic by the grace of God and wonderful uh, Papa prophets uh, in our lives for, for a decade or more as mentors. And one of the cries of, of our heart now is God bring forth a maturity um, in prophetic anointing. Because as much as I love, and Trevor was saying this earlier, as much as we love the giftings of God, all these other things, there, we've got to go beyond impressing people with our ability to get information. You know, I love detailed words of knowledge. I love all of that. But can I be honest with you? I can take you to witch doctors and psychics that can tell you your address, that can tell you your phone number. You see, we've got to go beyond being impressed with information because ultimately prophetic anointing is the revelation of Jesus. Prophetic anointing is not about revelation of facts. It's about the revelation of a person, Jesus. And so God is bringing forth, I believe, a, a mandate for the prophetic church and prophetic people to rise to new levels of, of maturity. But also, not only is it to set the times and the seasons, but for the prophetic anointing to open the eyes of the church so that we all can see and we all can hear, so that we are not dependent on uh, a prophet to, to get a word for us. One thing I think is missing at times from the, the you know, spirit-filled church is a brain. It, it astounds me how weak-willed and weak-minded many spirit-filled Christians are. That sometimes we, and, and, and Trevor and I were talking about this actually, you know, before, before service night. We love the mystical dimension of, of the Spirit of God and the mystery of Christ. But the reality is we've got to pull our head out of the clouds sometimes and live in the reality of earth. Now, we understand that we're already seen with Christ in heavenly places. I understand all that. I, I, I believe that. But have you ever heard the phrase, being so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? 
you know, I, I get around people sometimes that it's, it's like they think the only way they can um, uh, convince you that they're spiritual is to talk in big mystical terms. And, you know, look, I, one of our prophets was a guy very well known for the mystical uh, arena. And you sit and talk with him. And, you know, most of us had no clue what he was saying because he was constantly flying around in the heavens and didn't know how to, you know, uh, communicate in, in real, real life. But I tell you what, God wants us to know how to make Jesus real, relevant, and approachable, even though there's the, you know, the spiritual, mystical realm around us. And some people, I, I know, you know, sometimes people will, and whether they're truly trying to share their heart or they're trying to impress you, um, I'm not sure all the time, you know, people walk up and say, well, no, the other day I was here or when I came in the city, didn't you feel this? And, and there are times people say, you know what, I came into Winnipeg and, and, and I, I feel this and I feel that and this spirit and that spirit. What did you feel? And I say, nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, sure, if God shows me something, that's fine. But I don't have to go around trying to uh, convince people that I'm prophetic. Uh, you know, uh, you know, many of us here may have experienced signs of gold dust and things like that when, when the Lord was doing that. And I remember one time somebody came up to me, and, and their, their hand was sparkling. Um, and they said, look, it's, it's, it wasn't gold. You know, it's, the, it's the, the glory dust of heaven. And I looked at it and went like that and said, no, it's not a sweat. <laughs> Guys, I believe in the supernatural. I want a greater release of that, but I don't think we have to fake it. I don't think we have to try to even convince ourselves that something natural is supernatural so we feel that somehow God has, is, is, is on the scene. And so um, many times we get what I call granola Christians. Granola, muesli, whatever you call it over here. Nuts, flakes, and fruits. Have you ever been around people that seem to think the weirder they act, the more anointed they are? And here's, here's my contention. I don't think the anointing makes you weird, but I think God will anoint weird people. Sometimes people that are weird or strange or flaky, they don't care what anybody thinks, and so they easily move out in the anointing because they don't care. They're just going to do it. Please, don't become weird to prove you're anointed. Look, I understand. Again, I'm not against the, the, you know, the experiential and the mystical. But God is wanting to bring us to that place. And, and honestly, as, as someone who's been in this for a while and, and moving into some, some fathering roles, is I believe God is calling us to know how to hear in the heavenly realm, see in the heavenly realm, but express Jesus normally and naturally. So that he is the one seeing and not us. And so that takes me to where I want to uh, spend a few moments this morning. That's Revelation chapter 4. Because there's a, there's a cry in my heart. After uh, years of doing this, after, you know, hearing the Lord and experiences with God, um, I, I want to go further. Let, let me tell you a little of my own journey, if I may, just for a second. I, I'll, I'll be 56 in, in 12 days. Um, I... I Found Christ at five years old, filled the Spirit at nine years old, called into prophetic ministry at nine years old. As a 19, 11-year-old boy, uh, we were in part of children's church, laying hands on the sick. They were getting healed. People getting filled with the Spirit. Say, 15, 16 years old on the streets, witnessing, seeing the sick healed, demons cast out, all this other stuff. Started preaching in churches at 16, started traveling full-time at 23. And then, um, by the grace of God, prophets coming to our lives. And so around the world, uh, tens of thousands of people saved, crusades of 30 
30 and 40,000 people in India, underground church, in, all, uh, in China, just a lot of different things. Uh, leprosy healed, AIDS healed, uh, the deaf mute speak, uh, blind see, deaf hear. You know, I, I haven't seen resurrection yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I, and, and I thank God. It's not because I'm anything special, but, but we are uh, ambassadors of his heart and his love and his power to demonstrate him. And, and here's, here's what's happened to me. Uh, about a, uh, coming up on a year ago, uh, Kim's mom passed away, uh, pancreatic cancer. Uh, a few weeks ago, we lost a 30-year-old nephew, uh, uh, aneurysm. Um, and, and, you know, walk through life, you know, walk through life like everybody else. And can I tell you part of the, and maybe it's midlife crisis, <laughs> um, but there's been a, a temptation to just coast for a while. You see, here's, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not well known. God's opened a lot of doors, but, you know, I don't get invited to all the big circuit things and, and that kind of stuff. And I dealt with that before the Lord, and my heart's okay now. Uh, it wasn't for a while, but my heart's okay now. I uh, went through RTF, um, and I did. Chester and Betsy are friends of ours. But um, anyway, uh, here's, here's what I, I've, I've been struggling with inside the last several months. I may not be the best preacher, but I can hold my own. I might, may not be the most accurate or detailed prophet, but you know what? God speaks to me. And the temptation has been, Russ, you've learned the ropes, you've paid the price, now just coast on what you've already built. Does that make sense? Just get by. Because, you know, we could continue for the next 20 years or however long on what we've done, the open doors God's given, and have, you know, uh, you know pay the bills and, and have ministry and have impact. But I, I, when I was tempted to do that, it began stirring in me saying, no, I am not willing to settle for less. And then so, I, but I've got to press in. See, on, uh, and on the Isle of Patmos, John the Revelator in the book of Revelation we're told he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he began to experience the revelations of heaven. That came the, the uh, letters to the churches of Asia Minor. But in Revelation chapter 4, John had a further invitation into the revelational realm. He said, I saw a door standing open in heaven and heard a voice, the voice I'd heard before, saying to me, come up here. I believe there's an invitation for the church to go further, higher, deeper, wider than we've been before in the Lord. And we understand the theology. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, but God is not going to force us in. He is giving us an invitation to an encounter. And so this, this uh, message has really come out of some of my own personal journey over the last year of the Lord saying, Russ, you can settle where you are, prophesy some good things, preach some good things, see a few people saved, heal, whatever, or you can press in to believe for a revelation of heaven so that you can release heaven on earth. And so I began looking at this uh, again. And, and so uh, verse 2 let me look at it here with you. It says, John speaking, at once I was in the spirit. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who was there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow shone around like an emerald circle of the throne. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Um, he said this, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings of peals of thunder. In front of the throne, the seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. 
Um, goes on also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back. First creature like a lion, second like an ox, third face like a man, fourth flag like an eagle. Each of these four creatures had six wings, covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. I want to look at two aspects of John's experience here and encounter. And that was, number one, the activity of heaven. And number two, the atmosphere of heaven. As he goes before uh, the throne of God, he begins to encounter the activity that was going on around the throne and in the heavenly realm. And I'm not going to try to go in depth on any of these in particular things, but I want to set again before you, because I know many of us have been exposed to some teaching on this, but I want to set it before you again as a fresh invitation to a new dimension of encounter for us individually and as a church. And so as he comes into the heavenly realm, there are 24 elders sitting around the throne. Most Bible scholars would agree these elders are not angelic beings. These are the redeemed of the blood of the Lamb because guess what? Angels do not rule and reign with Christ. They are servants of the Lord and of his saints and his church. But it is the saints who rule and reign. And so uh, many would agree that these elders represent uh, those who have been given a governmental authority in the heavenly realm. And while I'm not going to try to get into what's happening now in, in eschatology, in time theology, the reality is that there is a heavenly anointing to bring rulership, to bring government of God on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that God is entrusting us or, or preparing us, maturing us to entrust us with the scepter of authority. I heard a teaching one time about the difference between anointing or gifting and authority. And the, uh, the illustration used was of a, of a, a New York policeman. Now, um, a New York policeman has a gun, and that is his gifting. That is his power. That is his anointing, if you will. If somebody does not obey his authority, he can enforce that authority with the gift or the gun. Make sense? But... His authority is not the gun. His authority is the badge. And there's an authority in his sphere, New York City, to hold that badge up and say, stop in the name of the law. You take that same New York cop with the same training, the same uniform, the same badge, the same gun, and put him in Chicago, guess what? His gun still works, but his badge doesn't. You see, we have spheres of authority, and you know what? In my nation, you can go out and get a gun, get some training, get a concealed carry license. You don't have to have a badge to have a gun. Can I tell you, uh, it's funny, because when we go to Europe especially, they say, how many people have you seen shot? You know, like they think that it's, you know, war on the streets of America. You know, we were in a church um, in our area. The, the, the pastors were cops, a you know, big military area. Do you know that part of my love offering was a handgun? <laughs> Only in America, right? <laughs> so part of my offering is a handgun. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we were in Tallahassee, Florida, and part of my love offering was a Smith & Wesson knife <laughs> with a blood groove. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm going to stir some of your politics up, aren't I? <laughs> but you know what? I might have a gun, I might have a knife, I might have a concealed carry license, so I have a gift, but I'd have not gone through police academy. I've not been given authority in that realm. 
See, what happens is a lot of us, we try to operate by the power of gift. And so we're so focused on developing the gift. We go to prophetic seminars and healing seminars and deliverance seminars. No, that's good. We need to know how to use our gun. Make sense? But where are those that are saying, God, I want to know more than how to operate the gift. I want the trustworthiness of heart so you can release authority. And so they, they, they brought uh, authority and government in the heavenly realm. And I believe there's a governmental authority being released. But I believe there's been, um, I believe there's been an arrogance. And sometimes it's out of ignorance by a lack of exposure. There is an authority of the believer but guys, not every one of us have the same dimension of authority. I believe we have invitation to dimensions of authority we've not touched. But I think what happened is many times in the past when we started getting revelation about the believer's authority and spiritual warfare. I don't know and if you've heard stories of times of people trying to tear down territorial spirits by themselves and then they get, you know, uh, slapped back. They... they uh, we, we were in, back in 1991, we were leading teams of teenagers around the world, and we were in Jamaica, in the interior of Jamaica ministering. During one of our impromptu street meetings, a Rastafarian high priest, he was, you know, throwing curses at us, shaking his fetishes and doing all this, and we were just oblivious. I mean, we were just out there preaching Jesus, you know, sick, gaining, healed, and prophesying. And we were completely oblivious because we just had this thing, oh, well, we're doing the work of God. Everything's cool. And, and, and no fear, okay? I'm not trying to advocate fear, but wisdom. You see, because uh, we got back from that trip, and Kim fell ill. My wife fell ill. It was around 104-degree uh, temperature, Fahrenheit or whatever. You know, uh, and and uh, she was sick that we had to cancel two months of meetings. Uh, we didn't know it was going. She was delirious. One time she was saying, I'm, I'm walking on the yellow brick road. And, and I was just out there. And a prophetic friend of ours, because Kim and I didn't even think back to that encounter with, with that uh, uh, witch doctor, as it were. And... A prophetic friend of ours said, have you encountered direct uh, opposition from the occult anytime recently? And that came back to our heart. And what we did, their, their little church in Tennessee and us, we dealt with it in the spirit. We put that authority, that, that, that curse under the power of our feet under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Within hours, Kim was instantly healed. We got up and we're back on the road in ministry. Now, please understand, I'm not advocating fear. But guys, we must understand that just because you're a Christian and have the authority of the believer, and there is the reality of that, that we don't go off half-cocked thinking that just because we have the name of Jesus, like the seven sons of Sceva, that the, the name of Jesus is not a formula. So God is bringing a maturity because I love, I love government, I love the authority and all these other things that represents in the heavenly realm, you know, the courts of heaven. I believe in all that. But guys, I think sometimes we're going off with with uh, an ignorant innocence or an ignorant arrogance, one or the other. And we end up not seeing anything happen as well as get, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 I keep saying slap back of the enemy. Anyway, so there's an authority that God is releasing and God's bringing us into that realm. Also in the heavenly realm, it says before the throne, there were flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Now, we homeschool Shekinah uh, with our, our life on the road, and we probably would anyway. And so we homeschool Shekinah, and, and Kim teaches a lot of things. She te learns a lot of things on her own. But I'm the math and science teacher, all right? And so as, uh, as, as we studied different things back a few years ago and got looking at weather again and lightning, 
How many of you, let me, have you, have you ever gone outside after a lightning storm and you could feel an electricity in the air? Your hair stood up on, on end and, and all that. Can I tell you, when lightning strikes, it changes the atmosphere. When there is a release of the activity of heaven, it will change the spiritual and the physical atmosphere around us. One of the things that lightning does, it changes the molecular structure of the air around it. You see, as much as, in, in, you know, and I don't know where your politics are for you, but as much as I believe in advocating righteousness from, you know, from the White House to the Supreme Court all the way down, I believe in standing for righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is reproaching any people. But the reality is that in my nation, the heart of America will not be changed because of a Supreme Court decision or who's in the White House. The heart of a nation is changed because of the presence of Jesus. And so when we bring the activity of heaven, it's going to change the atmosphere around us. And when it changes the atmosphere, one of the things it does, it will cleanse the atmosphere of certain pollutants. Guys, our cities, our streets are filled with discouragement, depression, uh, despondency, with depravity. What's going to change the atmosphere of our cities from, from an atmosphere of hellishness to an atmosphere of heaven is going to be the activity, the release of the demonstration of the power of God. And then, you know what else lightning does? It will bring a positive charge to the ions in the atmosphere. You know, uh, Trevor was talking about the testimony of praying for the, the guy in the pub. Let me tell you, we want to see miracles happen in this house, right? In our services. But I believe the greatest place for the release of the supernatural is not going to be waiting for a preacher to lay hands on you. It's going to be as you and I go out and bring the atmosphere of heaven out there. And so when, when we bring the lightning of heaven, it brings a charging. Because, you see, in old-time supernatural meetings, we would have what we call the atmosphere of faith. You ever heard that phrase? Oh, an atmosphere of faith. And many times what it was is when they were singing the song, The Preacher Light. Those of you who do worship, those of you that do worship, you know this, that every congregation has their favorite songs. And if nothing else is working, it is a dead worship service, people are not entering in, sing their favorite, and they'll get in. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a favorite chorus, but there is something wrong when we need to use outward uh, manipulation of emotions to get people into the presence of God. You know, if, when, can you imagine if we tried to do that, go into the pub and say, I tell you what, I want to pray for your knee, but before, we got to get our worship team, we got to sing for 15 minutes and shake a little bit. <laughs> you see, again, we got to come away from needing the accoutrements of, of, of what we call the atmosphere of faith. The atmosphere of faith is just walking in simple faith and humility and obedience. And so um, the, 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 the lightning will charge the atmosphere to believe for the supernatural and the miraculous, the manifestation of heaven. Not only were there lightnings, but there were thunders. Psalm 29 says, the voice of the Lord thunders. You see, the thundering of God in many ways is the voice of God being released. But have you ever, Kim and I um, met in Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. And Missouri is part of Tornado Alley in America. So uh, it, was, it was our first date, March 18, 1983, our first date. And uh, March, April, May, our big tornado season down there. On our first date, five tornadoes touched down in our city. 
I hope that was not an indicator of our, of our relationship. Have you ever heard thunder that was so strong it shook the building you were in? Some people get afraid of thunder. Here's part of the analogy. Not only the voice of the Lord, but a thundering voice of the Lord. In Western Christianity, we have effeminate wimps in our pulpits afraid to declare truth. God, give us thundering prophets again. I'm not talking about condemnation. But guys, lies do nothing but keep the seats full. Truth sets free. And somewhere there's got to be a people that are willing to offend people so we don't offend God. I believe in our attempt to make people comfortable, we have offended the presence of God. And we can have a full house of people with a lot of excitement and no glory, not even know his presence has departed. You know, I, I've only been in one or two churches over the years where literally I felt the Lord say, I've written Ichabod, the glory has departed over this church. <laughs> A, a comical story almost about it was years ago in the Kansas City uh, prophetic movement. But somebody was trying to prophesy one time, you know, uh, you know, repentance and, and, or else God will write Ichabod, not above, above that church, but, you know, somewhere else. You know, and, and then they were trying to say Ichabod, but they ended saying, end up saying Michelob. Do you know what Michelob was? <laughs> a beer brand. <laughs> Let's say the Lord, I'm writing Michelob above the door of this church. <laughs> anyway. Man, I'll drink to that, somebody said. <laughs> There's a thundering voice of God. And with the thundering is going to come a fresh revelation of the fear of the Lord. One of the, one of the things Kim and I personally received from the Toronto Blessing. Back in, in 90, for us, 95 is when we encountered the Toronto Blessing. And I told some of the stories and the joy of the Lord and, and all these other things, but it was not just Father God, it was Daddy. See, when Shekinah was little, um, you know, like a lot of little kids, you know, Daddy would tickle her and laugh and, and everything else. And we had what we called the belly blow. She'd lift her little shirt up and go, belly blow, like, you know. And, and, and she hates tickling now as a teenager. But there was something about Daddy. This was not just Father in heaven. This was Daddy playing with his kids. And there's such a great a truth and revelation in that the church needed. But I think for some part of the church, we've gone so extreme with playing with Daddy, we've forgotten he is also Father. And I believe there's a fresh fear of the Lord being, being visited by the church because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've had tons of revelation, very little wisdom for application. So we go around prophesying. I don't know about you. I tell this to the leaders of the day. I've got so many prophetic promises, it would take me five lifetimes to fulfill them. Sometimes what I need is not another prophecy. What I need is wisdom or resource or a kick in the rear end to do something. And so, guys, thunder is going to come with the, the, the seriousness, the soberness of the moment in which we live. So yes, enjoy daddy. But know that he is the judge and father. 
And so we, we see the lightnings, we see the government, we see uh, the, the thunders of the Lord. I don't have time, I'm not going to go into all of this. It talks about the seven spirits of God. He's not seven Holy Spirits, he's one Holy Spirit, seven uh, manifestations. Uh, and there are seven symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, wine, dove, oil, river, all these other things. And then there are seven spheres of culture, mountains of culture, people call it, that were called to invade with the Holy Spirit. So he is seven, 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 seven manifestations, seven symbols, and seven dimensions he's sending us into. He's the sevenfold spirit of God. And then there in front of the throne, I'm not going to take time of the, the, the crystal uh, uh, sea and these things. But uh, finally, in this, the activity of heaven, there are living creatures with six wings. Trevor was talking about earlier, Isaiah 6, I believe it was. And they were full of eyes. I think it was Wes and Stacey Campbell years ago out in Kelowna started something called Eyes and Wings uh, conferences. And I think you all have done some things with some of that, that theme. And I don't know all the different uh, insights God's given you in that. But here's what one of the areas that it gave to me. Have you, ever, have you ever played a game where you look at something with one eye closed and then quickly close that eye and open the other one and watch it shift just a little bit? Maybe, maybe I'm weird. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> and now catch this. You haven't moved, but when you shift your, your line of sight from one eye to the next, you see it from a, just a little different perspective. Could it be, just could this be some of the activity of it? Could these living creatures, a thousand eyes, a million eyes, whatever it is, maybe somebody has been taken to the heavens and they know how many eyes. Um, but they, they, they close every eye except one and they see God. And they're so overwhelmed with his majesty, his holiness. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. And then they close that eye and open the eye next to it and see God just from a little different perspective. And they're so overwhelmed again with this fresh revelation of the majesty of God. Holy, holy, holy. Then they open another eye, then two eyes, and five eyes, and a hundred eyes. Can I tell you something? Eternity, I believe, is going to be a constant unfolding of the majesty of our God. But isn't that what worship here is here on earth? We're invited into that revelation. I don't know if you ever thought in the past when you were younger, maybe that heaven is going to be an eternity-long, boring worship service, song service. Let me tell you, we are invited into the unfolding revelation of who God is. Look, we could talk more and more about that, but let me, let me come to a close here by shifting. We see the activity of heaven, but it's all got to come out of the atmosphere of heaven. You see, we have learned many times how to operate gifts, how to set atmospheres, how to get things going. But ultimately, it's going to be the atmosphere of heaven. Here's the way the Lord put it to me. See, growing up, um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in, in, in Pentecost. I grew up um, on uh, gospel quartets. Me and my dad would, would lay a speaker down on the floor, put a pillow on it, and listen to old-time gospel quartets and, and all those other things. And, and so uh, back then there was a hymn, you know, I've got a mansion. I'm not the singer, so I won't uh, torture you with that. Just over the hilltop. You know, where every song is about one day I'm going to go home, I'm going to go to heaven and be with mama. I love my mama, but heaven ain't about mama. <laughs> um, and, and, and here's how the Lord put it to me. He said, Russ, you could spend eternity with streets of gold, mansions fair, no tears and no sickness. If Jesus isn't there, you're in hell. Wow. You see, what makes heaven heaven is not everything around us. It's his presence. 
That's what makes heaven. So what does heaven look like on earth? I believe the extension and expression of heaven on earth will, will bring uh, 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 hope. It will bring uh, justice to the injustice. It will, you know, uh, alleviate power. I believe it will do all those things. But can I tell you, you can have programs of man and flesh that accomplish a lot of that. We're not just after societal uh, uh, betterment. We're after transformation through the presence of Jesus. So heaven on earth is ultimately not measured by the economy and by, you know, how many hurting people there are that will touch that, but it's going to be the presence of Jesus released around us. And so we need to know what it is to, uh, to have the presence of Jesus, to walk in his presence and release his presence. Two illustrations. Um, Number one, and, and Trevor, you were talking about Psalm 139 where it says how, how uh, great, magnificent, how multitudinous are your thoughts about me. But in that same psalm, the psalmist says this, even if I make my bed in the depths of hell, you're with me. Can I tell you something? Even when you're walking through the most hellish time of life, God has not abandoned you. His presence can invade that place. My dad was paranoid schizophrenic, and he medicated with alcohol. By the time I was 8 years old to 13 years old, the way I went to sleep every night was a baseball bat beside my bed because I would listen for hours as dad beat mom, poured beer on her, made a roll on uh, beer-soaked sheets, pushed her through plate glass windows, pulled knives. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just telling you my story. We all have story, don't we? Some of yours is much worse. <clears throat> But my, my promise to myself every night, I'm going to kill dad. I'm going to kill dad. At nine years old, I went and I threatened my dad. And I promised my mom, I said, next time dad hits you, I'm going to beat him senseless. I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to go kill myself. But it was shortly after that because, and part of where I needed RTF was because I thought as a nine-year-old boy, my responsibility was to save my mom. And I felt like a failure and so many other things because I couldn't stop the abuse. And so I had to deal with that as well as I had control issues because I was out of control and couldn't control as a child. And so that's where Chester and Betsy helped us. Isn't that great? But you see, <clears throat> it was in the midst of my hell that at nine years old, I went to a little, uh, I went to a Christian concert and went up to the front to receive prayer. The woman, the singer, <clears throat> told me to say praise the Lord. I did over and over until finally I tripped over my tongue and spoke in tongues. God filled me with the Spirit. And, and while that's not the best theology, uh, God honored the, the hunger of this little boy. And, and at nine years old, was, uh, in, in the, raised in the Baptist church, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Russ, read Jeremiah 1. That is your purpose. Before you were born, I knew you. From the womb of Daniel, sanctified your prophet to the nations. Can I tell you, God invaded my hellish situation, put his hand upon me and say, you're going to declare the word of the Lord to the nations. I, I have great testimony. My dad came to the Lord. God healed my family. My dad's with the Lord, been, been with the Lord for 12 years now. But God did a work of healing and restoration there, and I'm thankful for that. But I want to tell you, no matter what happened in the circumstances, God had to invade my hell. I want to say this as a word of encouragement. You may be walking through what feels like hell on earth right now. Don't give up. You're not alone. God's presence, heaven is going to invade and not only bring his presence, but ultimately bring victory into your circumstance. But then secondly, we must bring the atmosphere of heaven everywhere we go. My first job when I was 16 years old was at a fast food restaurant called Hardee's. Carl's Jr., I don't know if you have those up here. 
Um, and, and so Hardee's or Carl's Jr. So my, um, I, I, that was my first job. And here's what I found was interesting is I could have I been flipping burgers. I could have been working the drive-thru. I could have been at the, at the front desk cashier. But no matter what my job was that day, you know what? When I got home, I smelled like French fried grease. See, there was an atmosphere of the house. Though no matter what my function was, I had the atmosphere of the house uh, embraided or, or, or enveloped into my being and my clothes. It doesn't matter what your task is in the house if you will allow the atmosphere to imprint you so that you smell like the atmosphere of heaven. Back in 1993, we were on our third trip to Poland. We had a team. We went to visit Auschwitz, a concentration camp. Very sobering, very difficult place. But as we're walking through, my wife, who's much more seer and experiential in the prophetic than I am, she began to physically retch, uh, you know, feel like she was going to vomit. And, and she said, you smell that horrible smell. None of the rest of us smelled anything. There was not a natural smell or aroma. But we believe she was, if you will, smelling that spirit of death, destruction that still existed in that place. Uh, we, like you all, maybe, we've had times when uh, the smell of roses has come into service. He's the rose of Sharon lilies, the lily of the valley, all the different things. The only thing I encourage you to do is don't become a flake with it. Don't come to church and go, is God here? <laughs> you, anyway, uh, the aromas of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven. Have you ever sat down at a, at a, a big feast and just eaten yourself stupid? And you say, you know what, I can't, I, I'm not going to eat for another week. And about half an hour later, there's an aroma that comes from the kitchen. And it's your favorite dessert. All of a sudden, you have a little more room, right? Can I tell you something? No matter how much you have partaken of the Lord, there's more. And he's going to use that, the presence of God, the aroma of heaven to draw us in. But not only that, the world feasts on hell and they have no hunger seemingly for our God. But when we bring the aroma of Jesus, the fragrance of life to those who are dying, it's going to awaken a hunger and a thirst in them for the Son of God. And so, guys, I believe there's an invitation for us into the heavenly realm. Yes, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But there's a doorway standing open to greater expression, greater experience, greater revelation, greater, greater encounter. What is that door? Who is that door? Jesus. That door is not how many hours you pray, how many days you fast, how holy you are, how many prophecies you have, how many big-name big preachers have blown on you, thrown oil on you, how much carpet time you've done. All those things are great, but none of that earns us entrance into the heavenly realm. It's Jesus. And not only is, he's the, is he the door, he's the revelation. I believe that as we are arising to be an apostolic people, a fivefold people, a people that are going to express the fullness of Jesus, we must have a fresh encounter with heaven because God's calling us to release heaven on earth, his kingdom on earth as in heaven. Therefore, we need to know and interact with heaven so we know how to release heaven on earth. Stand to your feet with me, please. Father, we thank you. In just a moment, we're going to say a prayer. In just a moment, parents that need to get children, we're going to uh, uh, 
you know, ask you to, to do that, but we're going to continue in ministry for a few moments here. Last night we had the honor and privilege of praying for many, prophesying to several as well, and God may do some of that as well uh, this morning, but I believe there's a corporate invitation. There's an individual invitation, but there's a corporate invitation. And so, God, would you open the eyes of our spirit to see the open door? Lord, it's not because we're the pastor, the prophet, the apostle. It's because we're a son or a daughter. We are not just welcome. We don't just have a seat at Father's table. We are celebrated at Father's table. God, and we understand, Lord, there are different dimensions, different seasons in each of our lives, but, Lord, we are all invited in. And so, Lord, would you stir in us a yes and amen. God, that we will not stand on the outside looking in, that we will not peer through a crack in the door saying, I wish, I wish. Lord, the door is open. Jesus, you are the way. And so, Lord, we stir ourselves to enter in to a new season, a new release of revelation. And God, we pray that in that heavenly realm that uh, governmental authority in our spheres of influence would be released. God, we pray in that realm that there would be the, the uh, activity of heaven, Lord, that, that the power of God demonstrated the lightnings, the thunders of the voice of the Lord would come. <clears throat> and Lord, for those here today, Lord, among us, our brothers and sisters, God, that may be walking through a hellish situation right now. May the reality of Psalm 139, Lord, be open to them. And that is even though we make our bed in the depths of hell, you've not forsaken us. You're right there with us. So, Lord, may the presence of Jesus invade 